All right? We're going to get into the Word. And uh, we started way back in January. We've, we've spent a lot of time this year in the book of Philippians. We're going to get back there. We've, last four or five Sundays, uh, we've, we've been talking about other things. But we're going to get back into the book of Philippians right now. I'm going to go into chapter 2. I'll give you just a little bit of background. I encourage you, if you've, if you've missed the, uh, any, any part of this series, I would encourage you to go back and start. The, these are all archived on our YouTube, on our Facebook. You can find all these messages back, beginning back to January. And uh, we've, we've gone through first chapter, first section of chapter 2 of Philippians. And this is, there's a lot of detail. We're getting, we're getting into and understanding this. It, it, it's important. It, the, the instruction for us as ministers is to preach the word, right? Preach the word. And um, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep preaching the scripture. It's, it's, it's vital. Amen. And it's, it, I think it's important that we do preach through these. It's understand, it, it, you know, a lot of times we can take verses and isolate them, and we can build um, meaning into those verses that was never meant because we isolate them. So it's, it's important that we understand the context. That's why we're going through, we're taking the time to go through the book of Philippians, understanding the whole context of what this book is all about. So a little bit of an introduction as, as we get ready to go into this message. This, this letter, it, it was a letter written to a church by the Apostle Paul that he had planted in a place called Philippi, Macedonia. And so he had planted this church. He was a father to this church. And this is probably a little over a decade after it, it, its inception. This church is a little over a decade, a little over 10 years old probably. And we, we don't know exactly what is going on here, but we do know that there is some kind of contention. There's some kind of division. And that's the whole reason that this letter was written, was to help to bring unity back to the church at Philippi. And so there, there's a lot of that. Paul refers to himself as a servant. And we're going to see today his presentation of Jesus, which is that of a servant. There's a reason that he does that. He talks a lot about humbling themselves, about serving one another. He, he also uh, commends to them a young man named Timothy. He says, I'm sending him to you because he's a servant. That's basically his job, his, his endorsement of this man, Timothy. He has labored with me in the gospel, and he's not concerned about his own needs. He's always concerned about the needs of others. That's the, 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 the commendation that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. He presents them as servants. He presents himself and Timothy as servants, and then he presents Jesus, as we're going to see, as a servant. The reason is because the way that we overcome division is by serving one another. Amen. If there's conflict in your marriage, if there's conflict in a relationship, the way that we overcome that is by humbling ourselves, laying aside our own agendas, and that's, we're going to see that. This is what Jesus does. He, he lays aside, the Bible says he makes himself of no reputation, and he takes on the form of a human. God took on the form of a human and the nature of a servant and was obedient to the point of death. And he presents Jesus to us as this because the way that we're, listen, if you've got a problem, the way you're going to overcome that problem is through Christ. The way that we come any, overcome any situation, any circumstance, any difficulty that we are facing, the way that we're going to overcome, and we talked a little bit about overcoming in the last couple of weeks, the way we're going to overcome is through Christ. The way we're going to overcome any situation and circumstance is through Jesus. So the way you're going to overcome division, let this mind be in you. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation, took on the form. He humbled himself. 
from, from, from deity to humanity. And he was obedient to the, to the will of God, to the point of death. And the way that you're going to overcome these divisions in the church is taking that mindset on. This is the mindset that we need to, ha- to have. This is the way of thinking that we need to take on, to be a servant. And that's the way we're, go- we're, we're going to overcome uh, the division in any circumstance. He, he identifies in chapter 4, Yodi and Syntyche, and he says that I want them to, to agree. They're, evidently, these two, two ladies were at the center of whatever division there was. I don't know if they were contending against each other or if they had allied themselves together and were contending against the rest of the church. We don't really have a whole lot of detail there, but Paul's telling them, hey, be of the same mind. Humble yourself and be of the same mindset. Take on the mindset of Christ. And so that's the whole the, the whole overview of this book, and we're going we're gonna to dive in with that. So if you would, join me in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in, in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says uh, in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus humbled himself, and as a result, God has exalted him. Amen? He humbled himself. I mean, you think about the, the, the hum- humility of Christ going all the way to the cross, suffering that gruesome death. I mean, that's as humble as, it, as you can get. And, and his words on the cross, as, as they drove nails in his hands, as they stood around and mocked him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, the greatest expression of, of humility that we could ever imagine. Christ on the cross, while being killed, while being mocked. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a great expression of humility. It's no greater picture than that, what G- that, that Jesus has demonstrated to us. I want to start with a question. Is God humble? The first time this idea, it was probably 15 years ago, really, I began to contemplate it. First time I heard somebody say it, I thought, man, that, that's impossible. He's God. I mean, all power, all authority. He sits in heaven. He sits high and looks low. He's God. How... The idea for, for, for me to comprehend a humble God was mind-boggling to me. But I've come to understand that God really is a humble God. In fact, if God were not humble, we would all be crispy critters. Right? So, some people, like, they, they, they have an attitude like, God's waiting for them to screw up so he can take them out. Some people think that way. And the reality is, if that was the, tr- the, the truth about God, we would already been zapped. Right? I mean, he would send down lightning bolts and got us all. If that was what God was waiting for. He needs no excuse to take us out. 
but he's patient, he's kind, he's, not, he's long-suffering, not willing that any of us would perish. We have a humble God. We have a God who came and robed himself in flesh, lived as a human so that he could be acquainted with all of humanity, all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our temptations, and died on a cross so we could escape the penalty of sin. That, that is a humble God. As I've, I've studied this and thought this through, I've come to understand that indeed God, very, indeed God is a very humble God. Amen? So think about the greatness of Jesus. Think about him. I, 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 think, I thought of the words as I was preparing. I thought of the words of Solomon in the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He says this. He says, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and, earth and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Think that the, the universe and all that we know, it can't contain him. How much less this temple which I have built. Solomon has built this great temple and, he, and he's, at, 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 when he's standing there at the dedication, they've gathered for worship. All of Israel has come for the dedication of this temple. They're standing there at the moment of dedication. And his thought is, who in the world could build a house for God? I mean, really, will God really come and live in this place? I mean, this earthly, this little, I mean, this little 435 Eastern Boulevard facility, is this really big enough to house God? I mean, the heavens can't even contain him, and we're here trying to build a house for him. And he's just in awe of the greatness of God in this moment. The heavens can't contain. The universe is his creation. He's superior to it. That, that, that just blows pantheism up, which equates God and the universe as being the same. It blows that idea up. The heavens can't contain our God. He's greater and far superior than this universe. He created it. It's just the work of his hands. Think about the greatness of our God. We look at this earth, this earth in itself, just this planet that we live in, it's, it's astounding. When you go and visit the Grand Canyons, when you uh, stand on Pikes Peak, when you go to the Himalayans, when you consider that those aren't even a, a, a drop into the sea, of the depths of the sea, and he created all of that, all of the prairies, all of the deserts, all the rock formations on planet Earth, God created all that. And that's just one little speck in the universe that he created. You think about it. How great is God? Colossians, the Apostle Paul talks about, he gives, gives us this picture of, of the, really the greatness of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he says, He is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, is, that, that in all things he may have preeminence. This is Jesus. It's telling us Jesus created all that we know. Later on, he would say that in Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. This is Jesus. And this is the one who chose to step down out of eternity into time, to come through the matrix of a woman, to be born of a woman, 
to put on flesh. You think about this deity choosing to become flesh. The creator coming to save his creation. What an astounding thing when we begin to contemplate the incarnation, the desire of God to come and live amongst us and ultimately to give his life for us. Think about that. It's absolutely astounding. This is the great God, and yet he chooses to humble ourselves. We ask this question, is our God humble? Listen to Jesus talking about himself. He says, come to me in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus, in his own description of himself, talking about his humility. By the way, if you or I do that, you know what happens? They take away our humility badge when we start talking about how humble. By, by the way, Moses did it. Moses is the only guy in Scripture that got away with it. He said, Moses, the most meek man upon planet Earth. I wonder if God took his badge away at that point. I'm going to take your humility pin. Zechariah 9.9, talking about the coming of the Lord. Rejoice so greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. He came to us in a humble way. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says, We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Think about that. The king of glory, the creator of all of it, the creator of the angels, the creator of mankind, he became a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. The more you study, and I I could give scripture after scripture on this, but the more we study this, the more we see that indeed our God is a very humble God. He humbled himself. Examples of Christ's humility, born in a manger, right? Washing the feet of the disciples. We're gonna take a look at that here in just a second. Eating with his enemies. Serving his enemies. And ultimately, the cross. Indeed, Jesus, who's the express image of God, walked in humility. And he's showing us the very nature of God. I've been reading uh, the works of Andrew Murray on humility. By the way, it's on, you could go on YouTube and you can actually listen to the whole book. It's not copyrighted anymore, so they've made it available on YouTube, but you can go and, and I, I would encourage you to go and listen to it in your time. Andrew Murray's work on humility. But Andrew Murray says this, humility is the only soil in which the graces root. The lack of humility is the, is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure. Think about that. Every time you've messed up, it can, come, it can be traced back to our pride and our lack of humility, right? Humility is not so much a grace or a virtue along with others. It is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him as God to do all. So humility is basically the soil 
It's the root through which all virtue. How many of you know God wants to work his virtue in us? Amen. He wants the character of Jesus to be worked out in our lives. And without humility, none of that is going to come forth in us. The absence of humility, it, it, it's, it's resulting in pride in us, right? Pride is the root of all sin. Lack of humility makes way for pride, defect, fault, failure, moral failure in our lives. Humility is the root of all virtue. And we have to choose. The Bible instructs us over and over and over again. We're going we're to talk about this next week. The Bible instructs us to humble ourselves. Yeah, God will humble us, but that's not fun. It's better to humble ourselves. We're instructed to do that. The Scripture calls us to humble ourselves. Amen? Jesus demonstrated perfect humility. I want to look at a passage in, in, in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, they're gathering in for what we know as the Last Supper. It's a Passover meal. They're gathering into an upper room, and, 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 and in preparation for this, Jesus says he's going to wash the feet. Peter says, no, 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 no. I want to wash your feet, Jesus, and, and, and Jesus kind of rebukes him and says, hold on, Peter. If you don't let me wash you, I have no part of my kingdom. Okay. All right. I got you, Jesus. Jesus wraps himself with a robe, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And it makes a statement here in the third verse of this 13th chapter. It says that Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Just underline that. Jesus knew. This is New Living Translation. That the Father had given him all authority over everything. And that he had come from God and he would return to God. Jesus knew. He knew that, all, that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. This passage tells us three things that Jesus knew. Jesus knew where his power came from. We need to learn where our power comes from. That's, that's a heavenly calling. We have no power but by God. I mean, just, just in, in, in the basic nature of our life, we don't live if God doesn't give us breath. Amen. Right? And then in spiritual things, we will never step out in authority except it comes from God. Amen. We have no authority of our own. It's his. Yes, he entrusts it to us. He, he allows us to steward it. He allows us to be delegates. Right? His delegated authority on planet Earth, he entrusts us with his power, but we have no power but from God. That's why Apostle Paul says, I am what I am, but by the grace of God. Amen? We have no power but from God. Jesus knew where his power came from. He had a heavenly calling. That's the first thing they knew. Second thing they knew, he knew where he came from. He knew that he was heavenly sent. He had a heavenly origin. Amen? You too have a heavenly origin. If you've been born again, if you've been born again, you have a heavenly origin. The word born again, it's ganeo anothen in the Greek. It means to be born from above. We are born from heaven. Amen? And so we have a heavenly origin. We need to know that and understand that. And the last thing, Jesus knew where he was going. 
Amen? It says that, that he knew that he was going to return to God. He had a heavenly inheritance. How many of you know where you're going? How many of you are thankful for a little blessed assurance? Amen. I'm going to tell you that if you don't know that you're saved today, you can know that you know that you know that you're going to be in heaven when you pass from this life to the next. We have blessed assurance. When we are saved and born again, we know that when we're absent from this body, we're going to be present with him. We can have that confidence. We can have that peace. That's the peace that the scripture promises us if we have relationship with Jesus. That's the reality. He knew, Jesus, where his power came from, his heavenly calling, where he came from, his heavenly origin, and he knew where he was going, his heavenly inheritance. And because of that, Jesus was able to step out and serve. Why why can't we serve? It's because of our insecurities, our fears. If I serve so-and-so, I'm not going to have enough time to do this. God's telling me to give money away, and if I give that, I'm not going to have enough to pay the light bill. Why don't we do what God's calling us to do? Why don't we serve as God's intentioning uh, a purpose for us to, to serve? Fear, anxiety, war, worry. Every single time. Insecurities, because we are not confident in our identity in Jesus Christ. But when you know who you are in Christ, it sets you free to serve. I love this this quote from Pastor Robert Morris, Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. He says this, he says, only people who are secure in who they are and in what they have are fully free to choose the role of a servant. Only people who know beyond all doubt that they have God's approval can cast aside the bondage of seeking people's approval. Only those who are at peace knowing that it is God who has given them what they have and that no mortal can take it away. They are fully free to give away everything that they have. Isn't that beautiful? That's the reality. That's what life in Christ does for us. It makes us free. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Only in a position found in Christ can we live that out. Only when our identity is in Christ. When it's in Chad, and I'm touting my reputation, let's put my name on the marquee, let's make it all about me, look at me and look at my power and look at my authority, look what I can do, look at my talents, look at my abilities, look at my bank account. No, don't do that. (laughs) When it's about us, we will never be free truly to accomplish what God's calling us to do. But when it's about him, and his purpose, and his glory, we're free to give it away. Amen? There was quite a bit of discussion amongst the disciples. Even their mothers got involved in it. What it meant to be great, and who would be great in God's kingdom? Luke chapter 22, verse 24, says there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? 
He who sits at the table, or he who serves, is not he who sits at the table. Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus demonstrated that. Matthew, another example of this, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. It says, the mother of, of, of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. He said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two my sons, may, uh, I'm sorry, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and he said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I baptize you with? And they said to him, we are able. Wow, are you sure? We're able. And so he says to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with, and they were. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared for by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them and said to himself, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is teaching here very clearly what greatness in his kingdom looks like. It's, it's a, willingness, a willingness to serve. It's a willingness to lay our lives down. It's not by exhorting, exerting ourselves to a position of authority. It's not by, by striving to sit on a throne. It's not trying to get a position. It's not because you have a title. It's because you're willing to serve. We make ourselves of no reputation. If you want me to clean the toilets, I'll clean the toilets. If you want me to mow the yard, I'll mow the yard. The greatest men and women of God are not the ones standing in pulpits preaching. It's not the ones who have their, their, their names on the marquee signs. It's not the one with the biggest social media followings. It's the ones who are willing to serve. It's the ones who are willing to give their lives away. They're willing to show up for work days. They're willing to help the youth. They're willing to give. They're willing, they, they don't care about the limelight. They're not interested in, in all of that stuff. They're just willing to do whatever it is that God is asking them to do. And usually, those are the ones that God promotes. Did you know that? You look at this, this is what happens with Jesus. He humbled himself, and then the Bible says, when it was time, in due time, God exalted him. Every one of us have a due time. Every one of us have a season. And if you're trying to exalt yourself before that, it is a frustrating and painful process. I heard somebody say one time that, that if, if, you, if, if, if God opens the door, he'll, open, he'll keep it open. But if you push doors open, you have to keep them open. Right? If we're promoting ourselves, I mean, we got to keep the hype up. We gotta keep the dog and pony show going and keep up all the images and all the appearances so that nobody knows that it's just a smoke show. 
But when we humble ourselves, I'm going to tell you, God takes you through a process of building your character, of strengthening you, putting his nature in you, of putting wisdom in you, and understanding so that when he does elevate you, it's not a smoke show. But there's a sustenance, a substance, there's, there's a strength, there's a power from knowing him that you stand in. And you don't get glory for yourself. All the glory goes to him. That's what God delights in. That's what God delights in. I want to highlight these two verses in Matthew 23, verse 11 through 12. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. But whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. If we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. If we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. We need to learn the life of submission. Submitting yourselves one to another. We need to learn that. That's humbling. Do you have a peer group that you're submitted to? That when you're acting like a jackalope, they can say, hold on, brother. Back up. Do you have a peer group that when you're about to buckle under all the pressure, they can come alongside you and undergird you? Are you submitted to the brethren, to the body of Christ? Submit yourselves one to another. It is vital it's a part of our humility, and we live in a culture that hates that. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Mind your own business. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. No man can judge me but God. Yeah, do you realize what that judgment will be like? That's our human ego. That is our pride and arrogance, and we need to humble ourselves. Slow your roll. Humble yourself. You think about all these things. Pride. Self-exaltation. Self-promotion. Striving for the most important seat at the table. All these things that we do, and, and we all do it. Let's be honest. Y'all stop looking at me like that. We're all guilty. <laughs> we all do it. Right? We all want affirmation. We all want recognition. We want our name to be called. We all want to be appreciated. We all want it. And part of that's God put in us. Right? There is a need, a basic need for love and affirmation that's healthy. Right? But I'm talking about this inordinate. Like, I've already, I gotta be the star of this show every single time. I gotta be the loudest voice in the room. I've gotta be the one that gets the recognition. That's our sinful human nature striving and we need to learn to put that stuff under. I was listening to Piper this week, and he said, he made this statement. He said, the greater our pleasure in the superiority of Christ over us becomes, the greater our disgust for self-exaltation will become. Say it one more time. It is good, sister. Thank you. 
The greater our pleasure in the superiority of Christ over us becomes, the greater our disgust of self-exaltation will become. Think about that. You know what we need? We need a revival of lordship. Everybody loves to call him Savior. We need to learn to love to call him Lord. Amen? We need to learn what it is to be a people who are led, under the control. When it says we are people led by the Spirit of God, it's literally a people under the control of God's Spirit. That's, that sounds like bondage. It sounds like you're, you're, you're hemmed in and fenced in, but the reality is it is the most freeing thing that you can ever experience. Being under the control of God's spirit liberates you. Listen, I'm going to tell you what it is to be under bondage and control. Drunk every single day for three years. That's torment and torture and control and bondage in a prison. And then Jesus came in my heart, set me free. And being under his, his control is liberty and freedom. Amen? We need to learn lordship to submit to the Lord, to submit to the authority of his word, to submit to the control of his spirit. And I'm not, when I say that, I'm not talking about blaming your dysfunction on the Holy Spirit. You're running your little sideshow and say, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's leading me. No, you're off on your own. That's a good description right there, brother. Scotty said a kamikaze mission. <laughs> To truly be under the control of the Holy Spirit, to truly be under the lordship of Jesus, to truly be under the authority of the word of God. This is what God desires for us. And this is freedom. This is liberty. I forgot who it was, one of the church fathers, he said this, he said, a Christian could do anything that he pleases, but what is really pleasing to a Christian? It's not the sinful lifestyle. It's that lifestyle that brings glory to Jesus. Amen? May we come to a place where our pride is surrendered, where our ego is on the cross, where we identify with the crucified, buried, and risen Savior, and we live to a place of newness of life. How do we do that? by humbling ourselves. We're gonna look at this in depth next week. We're gonna talk about what it means to humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? What does a humble person look like? I remember just, y'all can stand, I'm, I'm, I'm finished. But I, I just remember the story, I was thinking about this this week as I was going through some notes and reading through some of this stuff. I, I was preaching in, in San Marcos, Texas, the little, the little church that we planted. It was our first year in our first little building. We had a storefront. And on uh, this side of the, of the, the sanctuary, and it was, I mean, we had 40 chairs, and they were all squeezing into this little room. But there was this glass wall right here, and we were right on Guadalupe Street. In fact, this young lady, when I was talking to her, because she, she uh, worked right there on Guadalupe Street. This lady was cutting my hair. But right there on Guadalupe Street, one-way traffic on this street, right and there's enough to park one car there in your parking lot, and then you got the main road. And so I'm sitting there preaching. We've got you know, 25, 30 people in this little building, and I'm preaching to them. I mean, I'm in a suit and tie. I mean, this is back in the day when preachers had to wear suit and ties. So I'm in my suit and tie. This is 15 years ago. And I'm preaching my heart out. And I brought my, my little Nate and Noah. They were, I mean, they were little tykes at that point. They're 6'2", six, 6 foot now. That, that guy right there, he was like that tall. 
about that tall. They had this, this it, it was about that big, probably the back of it was about that high. It was a giraffe. And it, was, it had a steel frame, it was a stuffed animal, it had a steel frame, and they could ride around on, we called him Jeffrey the Giraffe, they could ride around him on our house, he had wheels. And I brought Jeffrey the Giraffe to church to make a point, because he had a short neck. I was talking about uh, Jeffrey the humble giraffe because he, he had lowered his head. He was humble. This has absolutely nothing to do with anything. It's just a story, folks. <laughs> Don't expect some great spiritual build up here. Just telling a story. So I get Jeffrey there, and I'm sitting on Jeffrey, and I'm preaching away. I think I was preaching about Balaam at that point. I was on this, this giraffe acting like it was a donkey. And I looked up out the window. And there was a train track right there next to the church. And the train had stopped on the tracks, and the whole city of San Marcos was backed up on 325. And I look out there, and there were people staring at me on Jeffrey the Giraffe, <laughs> thinking, what in the world is going on in that building? <laughs> it says church on the side. We're not sure what's going on in there. It has nothing to do with anything. Humility. Church, we need to long for it. We need to beg God to take our pride, our ego. We saw it for a whole month, pride. Culture of pride. where we are today. I saw a picture, I don't know what government official it was, some man, some confused, poor human being, and I, I pray for that man. A man in a dress and heels with another man representing our country in some foreign nation. We're a generation thumbing our noses in the face of God. We need to humble ourselves. I'm building up, I'm gonna build over the next weeks, we're building for a month of humility in August. We as a people, we as a church, we're, we're not, and we're not gonna, listen, the world's doing, I'm not, I didn't say that to try to condemn the world. The world is doing what the world does. But we as a church are gonna do what the church is supposed to do. We're gonna humble ourselves. We're gonna humble ourselves. Chronicles that says, if, this is God speaking, if my people who are called by my name, see, we're, we're looking for the politicians to save our country. Unrighteous Democrats and Republicans that don't know God, have no walk and no relationship with him other than what's politically expedient. And we're, we're putting our hope in those men We need to bring the hope back where it belongs, the church. If my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves, turn from their sins, repent of their sins. Church, we need to repent of our sins. And then pray. God says, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So I'm calling our church to humble ourselves. I can't 
control what it goes on in any other church. But at Return Church, we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to draw near to God. We're going to seek his face. I believe we're going to see visitation. An outpouring of his spirit. A harvest of souls. I believe we're going to lay a foundation for generations. As we humble ourselves, I believe God is going to visit us. And God's going to do a work in us. Amen. I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us. And I believe I've been faithful to preach your word today. And I just pray that that would do its work in us. That we would be humble enough. There may have been things that I've said that somebody in this room doesn't agree with. May we be humble enough to say, hold on a minute, what does God's word say here? I need to consider this. If pastor's wrong, that's one thing, but if, the, if I'm wrong and going against the word, that's something completely different. I need to turn. May we contemplate our ways. May we humble ourselves. Lord, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus to send revival to return church. Send revival to our homes. Send revival to this nation. Father, I pray that we would have a greater sense and awareness of your presence in our lives. Father, that we would realize that you're with us everywhere that we go, that you're in our homes. Lord, I pray that in areas where we have been desensitized and we've tolerated sin, We've talked ways we shouldn't. We've behaved in ways we shouldn't. We've said things to people we shouldn't have said. We, we've lived lifestyles we shouldn't have. We've embraced things we should have never embraced. Lord, I pray that you would bring a sensitivity back to us. Break our hearts for the thing that breaks your heart. Lord, if there's things in our lives that are offensive to you, Lord, reveal them to us. Church, I pray that you would pray that sincerely right now. If there are things in our lives that are offensive to us, to you, Lord, reveal that to us. Lord, we want to please you. It's not about performance, Lord. We know that we're accepted in the beloved. We know that you have saved us. We know it's not by works that we're saved, Lord. But we want, we want to live a lifestyle that pleases you, that brings you honor, that brings you glory. We want to be a witness. We want to be a light. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. That we would be humble. That our lives would work through love. That we would be quick to forgive. That we would be quick to seek our own fault and give grace, that we would be long-suffering with our brothers and sisters, that we would endure long, that we would make allowance for their faults, because you've made allowance for ours. You've been kind to us and gracious. May we learn to walk that way. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for that in Jesus' name.
Amen.